welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases. We're sitting in a band room. I can't play drums, but I kind of want to. That's a whole <laughs> other story. Uh, our guest today can play drums incredibly well, but before we get into that, he also formed uh, Rosie's School of Rock, which is currently where we are. And he's just telling us about uh, asking your mum when you're little if you could learn to play drums. Why'd you form the school? Yeah, well, you know, I've been teaching drums since I was 15 years old, you know, mm. and along the way, you know, you learn what works best with the students, and to me, the most fun part of performing was, or learning the drums, was getting to perform with other guys, other guys and girls in a band, you know, yeah. that was the fun part, it was the end, the end game, you know, and so, for me to kind of instill that passion in the kids was always about showing them this is the reason why we're learning this particular technique whether it be on drums or guitar mm. it was like not not something that you just did in isolation rather you know you just don't learn a c major scale so you can play c major scales yeah you learn c major scale so you can get out and rip on stage that's exactly. what it's all about so it was always my desire to kind of create a situation where he not only had like a, a drummer but he could jam along with a guitar player yeah and then, you know, wouldn't it be cool then if you had a little kid singing and uh, that sort of thing? And no one was doing that, you know. Mm. So, you know, over the years it was just like always in the back of my mind. And uh, I was with the Screaming Jets for 10 years and then I moved to LA for three, four years. Mm. And when we came back, it was like kind of time to settle down, you know. So yeah. um, it was like, all right, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I love playing music. I love being in bands, but I don't want to tour anymore. You know, my kids are, you know, two and three years old at this stage and... I want to stay in Newcastle and just enjoy it. So we um, decided to uh, start a music school. Yeah. That was based on my philosophy of the best part of learning was to get out there and do it as, as a mm. group, you know. So there was no uh, kind of better name than a school of rock because that's exactly what we're doing, you know. Exactly. And then uh, around that time, they, they brought the movie out as well, you know, <laughs> which was like, you know, an added sort Perfect of... Perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. So now, you know, what we do at School of Rock is is be able to teach um, kids, you know, how to play their instrument through the learning of a song and getting yeah. up and performing that song. So there's a lot of benefits, not only from a confidence perspective, but from, you know, how to interact in a group and also just the pure fun and having that, you know, end point of like, all right, well, you kind of done this now, how about we get up and perform? Because for so long, mm. you know, um, if you play soccer or football, you just don't train. You you, you mm. play a game, you know. Mm. But music lessons are just like a place. Well, you just come in through weekly lesson, noodle on something, and then leave and come back. And next week it's something different again. That's exactly what I did growing up, learning piano with like the t- house down the road with the piano teacher. It was all in isolation, and it was all for exams at the end of the year. But you never really got to put it into practice, and it wasn't what you wanted to learn. Mm. It's kind of just something you were made to learn and it was very strict and very starch and, mm. yeah so we we kind of turned that paradigm on its head and mm. you know it just to me is the most natural way of of being able to teach someone just like you know if you wanted to um you know be a surfer or if you wanted to to play soccer if like but if you said, yeah, teach me to surf, I said, well, not only am I going to teach you to surf, but actually I've entered you in a competition in two months' time. <laughs> you know, suddenly you're going to practice. Yeah. You know, and you're going to be kind of be really serious about every time you have a lesson or you go out and surf on your own. And yeah. You've got to have something to shoot for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been very successful for us. And, you know, having the bands get up there and perform has been great. And 
now we find with our more advanced students, they want to kind of learn how to write their own songs and get out there and do it at a high level. We record their own songs. And that's so that. cool. And that's why we're sitting in this room right now, which is also a recording studio. Mm. And the kids have the opportunity to do that. And through my contacts, we've, you know, the bands have these and the Jets, I know mm. the producers and, yeah. you know, they'll come in. And you know, I, in fact, I was at the Oils and Oils exhibition. Mm. And I ran into so a lot of the guys who work for me, not all, and actually a lot of them work for us in the Jets as well, mm. you know. And I ran into a, one of our producers, Rob Taylor, who's done the Whitlam's, he's done Def Effects, you know. Hadn't seen him for a long time. He's moved back to Newcastle too. Yeah. And he's like, man, I need a, you know, I'm looking for a band, a young band to produce. I want to get my teeth into it. And I'm like, well, I've got a few coming through. So it's yeah. uh, it's pretty good. And we've got this program, it's called a Future Rockstar, yeah. which is exactly what it, the name suggests. It's, it's young bands yeah. that we're mentoring to kind of come through, learn some covers first. And then as they progress, they'll learn some originals. And then, you know, once they get to that point where we're ready to go to the next level, we'll get the uh, producers come through. And we've got a partnership with the TAFE, and they've got a fantastic studio. Yeah. There. So we can um, get the guys over and use this. It's like a multi-million dollar setup they've got yeah. over there. So, yeah, it's, it's really good. And we've had um, had a lot of good industry support for, for the whole thing. That's so cool. Yeah, people can see the benefit of having, I guess, another generation coming through that's been taught properly. And yeah. it, was, it was like... You know, I had a, always had very good teachers when I was learning. And, mm. um, you know, today we're discussing ACDC. And the reason they're one of my two favourite bands, the other one being Kiss, um, ACDC have got kind of very defined roles within the band. Mm. And it's almost like their textbook, every instrument is a textbook on what you should be doing to play in a band you know yeah. if you look at the drum parts it's like it's perfect drumming you know you look yeah. at the bass player it's like that is so right Angus as a you know he's the quintessential lead guitar player mm. Malcolm's the quintessential rhythm player yeah. you know and Bond was always my favourite <laughs> singer because to me he's like he's a poet yeah. you know and he should be recognised as a modern Australian poet in this, held in the same esteem as Banjo Patterson, you know, it's yeah. like, if you dig deep into the lyrics, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of depth there, but oh, it's, okay. it's, it's lyrics for then the comedy. It had that humour as well, though. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, was you, a, it was a good mix. Mm, yeah. Like, song like Big Balls, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's such a clever song on, on multiple levels, you know, it's like watching an episode of The Simpsons, it's, it's good for the kids, but the adults get it too, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, there's so much depth in the band, you know, if you look at, even their first album when they were, they were young and starting, mm. they were mentored by George Young, who was mm. in the Easy Beats. Yeah. You know? So it wasn't like they were just, you know, stumbling around. They, they once again, um, George has got very, you know, definite ideas of what oh, yeah. music should be. So um, to have someone like Malcolm, who was like, you know, George's younger brother, take that leadership role of the band and be so, like, you know, one-eyed to the point of, um, you know, going through so many lineup changes just to get yeah. that, that right mix of musicians, that right mix of people. But the good thing about ACDC is it's not just those individual components. They really lock in. The sound of it is always so tight. It's, such, it's almost like a rubbery kind of... It's just so full. As a band, mm. it's nice. Well, that's also because the frequencies and, and the playing styles are so kind of clearly defined, you know? Mm. So it's not by accident to me that that's happened. It's a grand master plan, I think, from George via Malcolm, who, you know, along then with Angus, were uh, the driving forces. Yeah. You know? And you can see the departure from that somewhat now 
on the last album when mm. Malcolm wasn't around. You know, you can see him kind of drifting stylistically. Yeah. And um, something that he wouldn't have allowed under his uh, rule, which is, mm. you know, probably not a bad thing because I think that's why they've done so well for so many years and so consistently. Kind of highlights what it's like without him. Mm, exactly. Yeah. But I definitely prefer their time with him and um, I'm sure most fans would agree. So mm. those clearly define roles, you know, why it all locks in so well is because you've got these, um, got a lot of space. They use a lot of space, like the mm. guitars aren't always playing. You've got the bass players yeah. pretty much doing one thing. And, you know, Phil Rudd on a drum is one of my favourite drummers, but he really just plays two beats, you know. Yeah and sometimes one drum feel so it's like so specific and they might have um, tried many different variations with different plays but it just didn't really work and that's why when they stumbled on the classic lineup, yeah, yeah it was um, it was a good thing so. I like the, I like the mention of the use of space because even if you think of like post bomb back in black just that bomb banana banana like it's really noticeable it, it feels really good mm. Yeah. It's not full on the whole way through. Well, I guess at a time as well when things were probably getting overproduced and overblown to like keep it simple into those sort of core elements was probably, you know... Absolutely, absolutely. Being able to um, keep it stripped back through... I mean, you look at look at how long this band's been around and what was happening during that time. You know, if yeah. we go back to the early 70s, we can say, well, their sound was kind of what was happening. But then, yeah. you know, ACDC never really hit big in Europe until, um, you know, bands like the Sex Pistols of 77, 78. Yeah. But they didn't kind of go off into a punk thing, even though a lot of people were calling them a punk band. They still stuck to that blues-based rock and roll. Mm. And then... In hindsight, I would never think of them as sort of a punk band, mm. classically. But that's what they, they'll kind of, you know, toted as. Mm. Just the media lumping them in, in exactly. to a category. Mm. Yeah. But then, you know, if we, if we use a similar comparison, like bands like... Nirvana came through around, around you know, early 90s. Mm. ACGC still didn't start suddenly start down-tuning and playing So grunge. many bands did, though. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, to the detriment. Yeah. Well, ACGC never brought out a disco album. <laughs> <laughs> or even got close to it. True, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you could dance to it, but, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't disco. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But, and that's one thing, you know, they, um, someone was saying... Um, it was an interview with Angus I said oh Angus you guys just rehashed the same album 23 times he said you're a damn liar we rehashed that same album 24 times <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent yeah so that's that's why I love them because mm. you know you, you look at every player and if I want to talk to kids about music every, every kid knows you know TNT oi, oi, totally you know, every kid knows long way to the top of rock and roll mm. I don't even know how they know it like we go around and play gigs at schools and we got like kids in their you know kindergarten yeah and they all know that song yeah all know it you know and what they're six years old it's just built in born yeah. in 2009 you know yeah. <laughs> so it, it really is built in so um, that's that's the great thing. So there's a common meeting place right there with any kid. Mm. You know, if they want to get into rock and roll. Yeah. That's what you know. We start with ACDC, yeah. and you can go from there. But within ACDC, there's so much um, depth and wealth of knowledge just in that band um, as songwriters, as musicians. You know, mm. specific musical parts. You know, you can just spend years just analysing each player's style totally. and why they do it and why they choose to do that instead of the thousand other things they could have chosen you know yeah. that comes to musical taste 
and that's something that is um, it's hard, it's it's doesn't it's hard to teach musical taste, but you can give kids reference points and say, well, have a listen to these guys, you know. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, well, surely if you want to demonstrate to a kid what sort of hard rock or blues rock sort of sounds like, you'd go straight to ACDC. Yeah, like, absolutely. And kids are going to like it because it's memorable. You know, they'll be tapping their foot straight away. Like, because like growing up as a kid for me, like. ACDC, like the Angels and stuff like that, was always sort of on in the background growing up. Well, it was that barbecue sound sort of thing. Is a the kid. barbecue yeah. sound. Yeah. And good. there was a def- distinctive link between ACDC and um, the Angels because they were both on the same um, label, which mm. is Albert's. Mm. And Albert's also had the Easy Beat, so there was this lineage, you know. They used the same studio, which was the Albert studio in North well, Sydney. Like, Vander and Young were fairly regular around there right they were like chief songwriters around there for a long time <laughs> yep they sure were mm. and they wrote a lot of songs for the guys that were on the label which was like John Paul Young mm. um, Rose Tattoo Ted Maury Gang mm. you know they were the big ones and then Angels of course mm. and um, you know I've actually recorded in um, Studio 301 with um, an Albert studio where they had um, George Young was still there that's cool you know? and I was recording with um, John Brewster from the Angels mm, yeah and Rick Brewster so it was like there was magic already in the studio you know yeah so it was a good thing but there, there's no doubt that if you look at the Angels sound the interplay between the two guitar parts is, is very similar to what mm. was happening with um ACDC at the time you know they've done their own version of that. yeah different style sort of, but the way they work together yeah exactly nowadays you know there's a lot of bands out there with two guitar players, but their parts are, are kind of less defined. You know, sometimes mm. one guy might play lead and then do a do a rhythm part, and the other one might do the same. But there's, you know, in ACDC, and the same with the Angels, there was always a strictly defined differentiation between the rhythm guitar player mm. and the lead guitar player. Even just talking about it and singing particular parts in, the, in my head, it's just... <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. though you know, it's a lot of people say that Malcolm's shredded, shredding ability is, is quite high, you know, mm. he could have busted out a solo yeah. at any time, you know. So even, even the ability to bust out a great solo, though, a great riff will always stick in your head. That's what, that's what a song can live off. Exactly, and if you can see this chart I've got on the wall, mm. it says 10 things you need to know about guitar. Yeah. And one of those is um, number seven. Solo should be melodic and memorable. Yeah. So that's really important because what happens is that musicians kind of get a bit carried away with technique over yeah. substance. It's like, well, look how fast my fingers can go. Well, you can shred. And then they know. treat it like an athletic exercise, you know. Mm. Guys like Ingrid Malmsteam and stuff. And sure, that's good. But, you know, you see other guys just maybe playing two notes and it's just like, wow, that makes mm. sense. You know? Oh, Totally. So, Pointy, what's your first kind of experience with ACDC? Uh, well, I think what I said before, like, it was sort of growing up as a kid, like, at barbecues with the parents, and and then uh, I went to one of my first gigs was for the Stiff Upper Lip Tour um, with my dad and my dad's mate. So we went down, right went down to right. Sydney to see the show, and, you know, it was probably the first big sort of spectacle show that I've been. Like, I've been to, like local shows and stuff at the PCYC for all meadow and stuff like that but it was the first sort of massive rock gig I went to mm. so that was a bit of an awakening it was awesome especially going with your dad too yeah we actually went again um, when they toured for, for Black Ice after that like I don't know, 
what was it, six or seven years after that. Yeah. I so. went to the, the Black Ice tour as well, and also um, the first time I saw ACDC was the um, Who Made Who tour. Oh, cool. But I was talking to Warmo, the guitar player in my band, just the other day about hmm. Black Ice, and we were both remarking just how many kids were there. Yeah. You know, with their dads. Yeah. And then they will probably with their dads. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's been three generations, you know, and... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And, and also, like, Angus is a character, you know? Mm. He really is a character. And, and kids can relate to that, you know? And totally. So it's something that... Um, it's great to see. Like, same as Kiss, that's what I love those bands too. It's like... Yeah. It's experience with the whole family. The thing I loved about the Black Ice tour is just still seeing Angus, like, slowly tearing off that schoolboy uniform and just so sinewy and just on his back or on the riser just you know he's a total spectacle and he's got so much energy and he can still play so well and he hasn't lost a thing wow so good yeah and and being able to play that well mm. while you're writhing around on the floor mm. <laughs> It's like, to that. it's like singers who can sing still so well running up and down a catwalk and running around the stage it's, it's why Mercury's life stuff is so awesome because he just never loses a beat. Yeah, right. It's so cool. Same with the stars. You see, yeah. you see Mick Jagger doing that and he's yeah. like, not out of breath, he's just singing, yeah. I mean, that's his workout, seriously, every night. Yeah, he's love to do that. So, yeah, so, um, you know, ACDC, there's just so many moments and the albums, they, they're slightly different, but probably my favourite album is the Power Rage album. Mm, um, it's a bit of a fan favourite. Mm, like, in particular, Riff Raff is, is just, you know, yeah. that's great. But when it boils down to it, you know, my favourite tunes are always the, the Bond Scott tunes. Even though the um, Back in Black album was their biggest album, mm. which was um, the first album they recorded with Brian Johnson. But, mm. you know, the, the other stuff with Bond singing is just sonically and, and lyrically and riff wise, that's kind of where it's at for me. I think it's got more space too like the stuff with Bond yeah like it's not as maybe, oh, maybe it was some of those records in the sort of mid 80s like it just seemed so dense like I don't know for um, I think it's that space it, thing as well though Bond's vocal is very rhythmic a lot of the time as well yeah maybe it was like Fly on the Wall like when I heard that record for the first time I was like oh, I don't really get why they made it sound like this it, they did add a bit more reverb to the drums you know but mm. you know in defence of that, you got to look at what was happening around them at that time, and yeah. they might have lent a little bit towards that way, but ultimately they still retain their their roots, you know. So that's why you can go back and listen to them. But yeah, I agree. You, you mentioned the Stiff Upper Lip album, and that's to me that's one of their, their best yeah. albums probably for the last mm-hmm. twenty years. Black Ice, that that really stands up. Black so, Ice was good. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. even though Bond's not singing on those, they're still they're still I still listen to them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was good, but you know, Bond had um, had big sh- big shoes, and um, it was hard for Brian Johnson to come into that role. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think he's. Well, I can't think of any other band that's replaced their lead singer and like gone on to such such fame, and so that he certainly delivered in that regard. But mm. but yeah, certainly it's a different style. Like, yeah. Exactly. Totally. So now for the kids here, you know, it's, it's great to be able to kind of show them what was happening with Bond, show them what was happening with Brian Johnson, mm. show them little licks from Angus, show them some licks from Malcolm, you know, 
and and Cliff on the base, you know. Mm. What he did basically made that space, so he wasn't doing much, but he was just laying it down just right. And, you know, Phil Rudd, great groove, and even though he's in a little bit of trouble right now. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair to say. He's not on the albums for his, you know, his uh, personality. <laughs> he's on there for his great drumming, you know. Sure. So that's definitely something that's got to be um, remembered, and, you know, he's done a pretty good job of that. So is he... Um is he out of the band at the moment? Oh, yeah, Chris yeah. Clay is now the drummer. Okay. Who um? And he was playing with him like in the early nineties. Yeah. Before. He was around for about oh, five or six years. Mm. Really good drummer. Mm. Uh, but when um, Phil Rudd was, they had a fallout with Phil Rudd mm. years ago, and um, he was out of the band. And uh, then they got Chris Clay, who did really well with the band. Mm. Um, but you know when they when I guess Phil was. They thought he was suitable to join the band again. They invited him mm. to the detriment of... Gave it a bit of time. Chris Slade, but yeah. I mean, it's good that they got Chris Slade back, was it? Mm. At least there's some consistency there. Yeah, exactly. It's still they, part yeah. of one of the lineups. You know, they're not going outside. Mm. And they did the same thing with, like, um, with Malcolm's nephew. Like, mm. Malcolm take a couple of years off or one tour or something off. Like, they got Stevie. at one point. They got Stevie um, and... Um, He's back in the band now. Yeah. Now comes out. Yeah. yeah. I actually used to see um, uh, Mark Evans like at the Sando when I was living in um, Sydney for a couple of years. Mm. He used to play there with um, Dave Tice from Buffalo. Mm. He used to like just I don't know just play the two of them, like you know, a couple of originals and just covering different classic rock songs. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Oh, well, they're both um, legends of the industry, but you know, it was. Um, Mark Arney was around for the first album and you know for whatever reason yeah it sounds a bit um, like I read his book and it's yeah it's not really certain what happened (laughs) basically it sounds like he just stopped getting phone calls Angus is yeah Malcolm's the boss and if it doesn't if it's not working for him it's you're getting a new guy now you don't argue with those guys yeah well I mean he's still had a good career now but they also had another singer before Bond, mm. a guy called Dave Evans. Okay. Who's no yeah. relation? Um, no. No. But he was. Um, he went on to front a band, a local band called Rabbit, mm. which um, kind of morphed into the Heroes. If you remember who the mm. Heroes are. Yeah. They just had something recently. Yeah, they, like they a... released a new album. Yeah. yeah. So Dave Evans was a singer, Rabbit, but Dave Evans got kicked out um, because he was too glam. Mm. Rabbit, we're a glam band. Yeah. So um, it was unfortunate for for him, but he quite wasn't still the right fit. And Bond was their um their uh he was a limited chauffeur driver. He was a chauffeur. <laughs> he drive him around. And he was they met him in Adelaide. Yeah. He'd be driving him around from gig to gig, and um, he was in a band called Fraternity, mm. who were completely different to ACDC. Yeah. I really like um almost a, a hippie band. Okay. Yeah. So he was in fraternity, but on vocal. Yeah, but obviously his humour and personality clicked with the band, and mm. yeah, they got him into ACDC. So yeah, they've had they've had a lot of lineup changes until they kind of settled on on the right one. But when they settled, you know, especially on Bond, that's when things really started to click. You know. I like the idea that Bond was driving him around. That's awesome. Because mm. the thing the thing that's great about him is he really, you know. 
he put his money where his mouth is. Like he really lived it. He was that guy. You know. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's completely authentic. That's who he was. We had a roadie working for a jazz guy, um, legendary roadie by the name of Pat Pickett, mm. and he was working for ACDC. And he said, "Bon, we'll take <laughs> go on the road, and he'd have a spare pair of socks and um, a shaving kit. That was, <laughs> that was his gear. So, uh, yeah." Pretty funny stuff. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Travel light. Uh, he did. Yeah, you can... Yeah, you can pick anything else up you need. Mm. So what's your favourite ACDC song? See, I... Oh, I don't know. I didn't pick... I didn't think about this beforehand. I will make a rash decision. Come now. back. Um, well, I can go. You can yeah, you decide. go. So, live wire. Probably oh yeah, and like I remember getting like in I think it was probably in '97 they brought out that bonfire box set. Yep. And it had the uh, um, like live at Atlantic Studios disc on it and the Let There Be Rock movie on like the soundtrack for that. And I I don't know why, but at the time I had like a lava lamp in my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like sitting at home listening to that. And like you do in the mid '90s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, no, like uh, yeah. Well, I'm totally with you in that like it's the Bond albums that stand out for me like Back in Black is brilliant and there's always that debate over whether Bond had any input into any of the songs on there before he passed and that's Absolutely. sort of a bit shrouded in mystery yeah it's hard you know I, I, I kind of do believe that he did but also Mutt Lang who produced that album mm. who went on to produce Def Leppard you know yeah. like, if you want to talk about different sort of sounds you know yeah. Um, and Shania Twain, you know? Yeah. Um, he did a lot of homework. He did a lot of homework on the band mm. and, and had very definitive ideas because I think that was the first album they did without George as producer, you know, so he, he wanted to really take it to the next level, which he did. So, you know, for whatever reason, things worked. The musical landscape was ready. The band was ready and, uh, you know, it exploded, so... It's good when that sort of thing happens because it takes the band to the next level. Yeah. And gives them a lot of momentum to carry through the 80s, you know, totally. even just on the back of one album. Yeah, well, to be fair, the rest of the 80s records, that they weren't, they weren't bad, but they were nowhere near back in black. Nah, nah. Like, for those about to rock was pretty good, was all right. Fly on the Wall was okay. What, there was Who Made Who and Flick of the Switch. And a little bit patchy. But yeah, on the whole, they they probably weren't wasn't their best work. Mm. So, stiff upper lip, I think, is when they kind of refound. Yeah, mm. I thought Ball Breaker was was pretty good. So. Mm. Yeah, it was a pretty good album. Um, stiff upper lip to me though. I remember well, I was um, living in LA. I was actually playing to be with a couple of guys from England. Mm. And the guitar player was like, "Oh man, I listen to stiff upper lip," and I kind of. Not have written ACDC off, but I just wasn't like. It wasn't first, something you were looking for, really. I wasn't the first guy in line to buy mm. the album, so I got a copy, and I'm like, "Wow, this is good," you know. It just kind of had all those riffs, a lot of space, mm. you know. And uh, you got some more chips over here. Oh yeah, I settled. Uh, hold on, I settled on two. Uh, live Thunderstruck, uh, overall TNT. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I like I like the the drums and the building in TNT, but I just like 
live, everything I've ever seen, and the one time I've seen them live, Thunderstruck just builds so nicely. Just feels good. Oh, yeah. I went and saw the Thund- Thunderstruck tour, mm. and um, it was it was a great gig, but man, they were loud. Yeah. Oh, oh shit, wow. yeah. And they started with um, Thunderstruck. Mm. So that riff, you know, Yeah, and just the way it builds is so good. It's crazy when you can open a gig with something like that. Like, that's what you're opening with. Oh, exactly. But same, I went and saw the Eagles, you know, they were touring recently, but one of the best gigs I've ever saw was um, in the Eagles which would have been probably 95 in mm. Melbourne Tennis Centre and they started with Hotel California <laughs> I'm like wow that's their best song how is it going to go from here and it just got better and better you know so I the, feel like I feel like that's kind of a good idea in a way if you've got that much to draw on because there'd be so many Fairweather fans waiting for that one song and that's really all they're waiting for get it over and done with and then no one's waiting for that you can just Exactly. Well, it's great to have that many hits, you know. Yeah. Um, funny, I went and saw a band. Oh, man, we're talking like in the 70s. Might have been late 70s when I was really young. Mm. My dad, Racy. Remember Racy? They only had one big hit, Come On Baby, Lay Your Love On Me. They played it three times through the gig. <laughs> That's the only reason you went and saw them. I did it first and last. That's tough. I don't know. By the third time, it must have been wearing a little thin. The only reason, I only they have. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, I'll play these strengths. If we, they definitely uh, have a legacy, and mm. it's not just a musical legacy; it's like almost a social legacy, especially amongst Australians. You know, mm, totally. It's, uh, they've woven, woven into the the, the fabric of what. How could that go? Yeah, everyone's got to know what ACDC is. You know? mm. So it's a good thing to have. So yeah, I've got to, you know, like I said, my two favorite bands. I mean, ACDC and Kiss, you know, ACDC will probably just get that little edge. Yeah. Just because they're Australian. It's so funny because, um, I was saying before, my my nephew comes here, uh, and his dad, I spent so much time, you know, going to the beach with, he's 10 10 years older than me, so so much time in the car, and those are the two bands that I link to him. Yeah. It's so funny. But they're both raw, raw, you know, if you listen to early Kiss... Mm. I still had that really raw sound. Oh, totally. Which is cool, but they, you know, as years went by, they kind of fell more into the trend. And as you were talking yeah. before, like ACDC would never had a, a disco song, but Kiss did. Yeah. Oh, I was made for loving you, you know? And I mean, that, okay, so that that becomes a hit, but the trends ebb and flow. It's never going to last if you stick to that one thing. Yeah, I've never been, like, I'm not a, against Kiss, but mm. like, they've never really been something that I've gotten into too much like I appreciate them but yeah I don't know for me ACDC is definitely above Kiss well the lyrical content is definitely um, <laughs> different you know yeah. Kiss were really like you know uh, I guess a, as Gene used to say you know they're looking for a Paul's always looking for a holster for his love gun you know mm. love gun was one of their big hits so yeah yeah I guess I just, ACDC still had some of that kind of connotation, but they did it uh, uh, a little subtly. Yeah, more it was more ambiguous. Yeah, you know. Yeah, more well, clever. Like you said before, it was stuff you could play, and your kids wouldn't necessarily pick up on. Oh, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, fundamentally, we're talking about Bon Scott really being authentic and living who he is, and that's what you get. Kiss as an idea 
with the makeup and with the pyrotechnics later on with the spectacle of it all. It's like it's it's the complete opposite. Oh, well, I guess ACDC had their spectacle. Well, that's like, true. With the blow up Rosie mm. and like the, the bell and like, the giant you know, train of the, the spectacle to that. Is oh, well, yeah. Like. I think you're right about the authenticity. You know? mm. I think that boils down to the subject matter of the songs and stuff. So you can, yeah. you know. You can have a whole lot of Rosie, mm. and, and, and you'd have to see the blow-up <laughs> version of it, but you, yeah. you can really tell that there was a stage with Bond where he really did have a whole lot of Rosie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like when you get to a certain arena size level, though, you kind You've of almost... On that. Yeah, you're expected yeah. to, because well, like, there's that many people there, you've got to provide some kind of show as well, and whether... Like, but, that still translates to a pub. It still translates to something much smaller, just the music, but you have to amp it up. Like, as I mentioned before, the Black Ice tour with the train coming out the front of the stage. It was amazing. It was, it was amazing. huge. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And then they had the, 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 the catwalk right out mm. in the middle, and, you know, it was just fantastic. And, you know, just like the Stones, these guys are getting into their, their 50s, 60s, oh, yeah. you know, it's like they're still playing. Yeah, as good as anyone, so it, it's really good to see. Stones be age-wise older, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Still, still though, there he's still delivered. Like we both went to one of the Stone shows um, when they toured last year, and like they delivered. They're still fine. They're still great. Like you can't fault them. Yeah, when you've been playing that long, it's in your DNA. You know, mm. it's as natural as walking. So yeah. Even if you're not feeling that good that day, it still comes out. Oh, which totally. Is, which is a good thing about it. And you now those guys, same as ACD, so there's the fine roles, you know, they've played with each other for so long. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like a nice pair of thongs that you've had for many years that you mm-hmm. feed They've got the right grooves in them. <laughs> exactly. And um, that's what happens with those bands, you know, or any great bands. If I look at the relationship between um, myself and Green Wormsley from the Jets, you know, mm. we've played and live with each other for 20 years you know? yeah when we play it's just like it's just perfect yeah well i feel like i feel like when we talk about kiss and the stones they've had those moments between say like your two key members where it's it's been very public that it's sort of like i don't know who he is anymore it's just a business we just operate as a business blah blah, blah. but i don't really feel that with acdc at all like maybe that goes on behind the scenes. I just don't think ACDC talk about that sort of yeah. stuff. Like they're just not. Yeah, it's just not part of what they do. Because like, I'm sure it happens, but they just don't air it in public. Well, obviously with Rod, they have troubles, and they they got rid of him, and brought him back, and you know, shit goes on. You you brothers in a band, that's fair enough. Everyone has fights, but yeah, I just feel like it's more of a. I don't know. It's less of a business aspect. Well, there's always going to be a business aspect, but. Well, I think, you know, Malcolm ruled the band with an iron fist and mm. it really worked in their case, so there wasn't that option, you know, mm. um, to speak outside the team. And yeah. you, you really shouldn't anyway, you know. But, you know, we know that, you know, um, you know, with the Stones, Jack and Richards don't write songs together anymore. Yeah. Like, same with Kiss, that they just basically bring their own yeah. songs into the recording. There's, and it's got to the point where it's even rare to have both... You know, Gene and Paul at the mm. recording session. Yeah, together. <laughs> together, but you can't ever imagine that happening with ACDC. You, you know, no. you can't imagine Malcolm allowing that to happen. No. 
But it's just the thing with like with Kiss, especially the thing that makes you sad to read about just just the whole bringing guys in on contract and they're in on a salary and whether they're wearing the same makeup or not and it just it takes away something from it and I like I like that it's not been that way in ACDC it's like sure we've got to do this we've got to do this but it's not so oh, absolutely you know there's this talk of Kiss franchising Kiss you know yeah. Where, oh where yeah they've already you know got a, a replacement for the guitar player mm. and what they needed to yeah and the drama but you know there could be a point in one day where Paul Stanley's at replaced with another yeah. person it'd be like the Wiggles you know yeah. so <laughs> let's continue on which is probably from a business perspective that's the way you get longevity but true but I oh man I hope Gene wouldn't replace Paul Stanley because if it's just Gene and the band yeah well it might happen one day we'll have oh, to wait man. and see man yeah <laughs> But no, you never see like that. Like interesting days. <laughs> that would be interesting. Well, it's already been speculated on. I've read Paul's um, autobiography and he's already floated oh, the man. idea. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I can say Kiss Beer wasn't so good. No, it wasn't. That was not, not so as good as the beer we're drinking today. No, no certainly not. <laughs> ACDC wine wasn't too bad, though. Even the Stones yeah, wine. The Stones wine was okay. yeah. alright. That was alright. Mm. Alright, so winding it down from ACDC, um, are they supposed to be touring for this album at some point? Yeah, they yeah. will. Yeah, they will. Cool. Um, you know, it'll probably be one of their last tours, so... They have to be. Yeah, I think you need to get a while. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Oh, like yeah. That's what I said the last two times, but, I'm, but I'll say it again <laughs> this time, and I'll continue saying it again every time they tour, just to justify <laughs> the money involved. Might be like the Stones, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened with me with the Stones, because I went, last time they toured... Um, like in 2006 and then this year I only bought tickets on the act- on the day the gig was on yeah, on yeah. I, was, I was sitting at home and I was like spinning a couple of records I was listening to Let It Flee and Exile and I was like oh, fuck, I've, I've got to go I've got to do it <laughs> so, like rang my wife I'm like yeah um, I've just bought tickets to the Stones and bought us accommodation out in the Valley <laughs> yeah. we're going <laughs> that was good man mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to know when to say this is the last gig because yeah. if they come out and disappoint you, you know, all those years. Yeah. It's hard. Well, I took my future father-in-law to the Sydney show before they announced the Hunter Valley show. And I thought, because he'd never seen the Stones before, yeah, that'd be great. I'll take him for his birthday. That'd be awesome. And we were sitting there in the stands. He's like, yeah, I've never been to a rock gig before. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You're in your mid-50s and you've... You mean you've never been to like a stadium gig? He's like, no, I've never been to a gig before. Wow. Jesus. I'm glad I brought you then. A good one to bring him to too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn right. Well, totally except like... he would have had the opportunity to see them years ago. Yeah, but he, he never would. He said, he said like he always just went, yeah, no, I can listen to him on record. He's never the kind of guy to do that. But I think it blew him away just seeing him play. So good. So, before we go, what are the Jets doing now? Well, that's a big question, yeah. <laughs> um, many years ago, uh, Dave and Grant, who started the band, had a creative differences, and they've, they've, they've split. Mm. Um, so the Jets still exist with Dave mm. and Paul, the bass player, and um, then uh, Grant and myself have... When you've been called Monsters of Rock, we've died Pritchard from Rose Tattoo and um, 
Paul Coxon from a, a cult Newcastle band called Faceplant. Mm. Yeah, so we've um, been doing some shows. It was time for us to get back together and Di had moved up from Sydney to Newcastle. Mm. And um, the timing was just right, you know, and we were looking for a bass player. We've always wanted to play with Paul Coxon because he's such a great singer, great bass player, great guy. So mm. we've got a, a really cool band there. Um, we're doing some gigs locally mm. and uh, we just we did play Canberra a couple of weeks back and we're just working on an album now so no, you can awesome. check check out the band at uh, monstersofrock.com.au or search us for us on Facebook so that's kind of what's happening there and if you've got a kiddo in your life you want to send to learn to be a part of a band learn music in this way where can we find more about School of Rock? yeah School of Rock um, we've got a, a big presence on uh, Facebook so just um Type in facebook.com forward slash school of rock. Um, you can look at the website, which is um, rosieschoolofrock.com. But you know, ultimately, we, we, we aim to create confidence in the kids, both musically yeah. and personally, by um, you know, getting them up, playing their instrument, getting them in the band, getting them mm. performing. And you know, that's, that's really, you see kids kind of nervous before they go on stage, and yeah. then after they feel like, wow, and money can't buy that, you know, you can't oh. buy that. That sense of accomplishment, that sense of achievement, and and the confidence that it, it brings in the kids. So it's um. I'd imagine it's a bit of a kick for you as well to then like see not only just the kids impressed, but the parents as Man, well. Like. It's very fulfilling both for mm. um, me and my staff. You know, we 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 do change lives. We say that, and it's it's true. It really happens. So yeah, you can see the transformation, and it's often just um. The stories that aren't out there, you know, like yeah. little kids, you know, kids, some kids have real struggles with anxiety and confidence issues, yeah. just seeing them, uh, you know, conquer those. And we, I've got a lot of kids that come to us that are on the autism spectrum as well, mm. because um, that seems like a, a real natural fit for those kids, music rather than like sports where there's rigid yeah. rules. In rock and roll, you know, there are rules, but some of those are blurred as well, you know, so... Um, it's, it's, it's really cool so yeah we, we get a big kick out of it oh man that's awesome I kind of wish I'd been sent here mm. I didn't I didn't touch on that stuff till I hit high school you know yeah and there's a band room in high school otherwise it was just piano lessons I love how young some of the little dudes starting here are it's so cool yeah it's great we do classes for kids from three so wow. private lessons from seven and um, so cool yeah cheers guys thanks cool. very much cheers thank you it's fun Please.